Well, good morning and welcome. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Eric Colser. I serve as the pastor here of Gospel Collective Church, and I'd be lying if I didn't tell you how excited I have been for this series. Um, we've shared many times with you all that as a church, we uh, uh, tend to go through books of the Bible verse by verse. In fact, three quarters of the year we do that, uh, but every so often uh, we're going to uh, take a, a pause and uh, uh, go through a topical maybe study or subject uh, for a sermon series uh, when we know that uh, it is needed within whether it be our church, the culture, society, and this is a topic that we really felt like we, not only we, but a lost world around us us needs to hear about. And so um, often I will say, turn your Bibles to this book and passage, and uh, we're going to be a little bit, uh, I'd say, all over the place with a theology of Imago Dei as we start off talking about what humanity is and uh, three themes that speak into this. So we will mostly be in Genesis chapter 1 through 4, uh, so you can be able to turn to Genesis 1 through 4, but we will be in multiple places. Scripture will be on the screen for you to see as well. Uh, but today we're going to start this series off talking about a theology, a study of God uh, through Imago Dei, which is uh, us being created in the image of God uh, through creation, fall, and redemption. In fact, we'll hit all three of those in every upcoming topic and subject uh, in Imago Day: creation, fall, and redemption. Uh, you know, many of you know, the very first words and verse of the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And over the next five days, God created light, Darkness, the sun, the moon, the sky, land, and the ocean. He created plants. He created trees. All living creatures of the sea, of the land, and of the sky. And then on the sixth day, he created something more unique, more special and valuable than anything else that he created. In fact, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 27, records that final creative act on the sixth day of creation. And it says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. He repeats these specific words about the creation and the uniqueness of humanity, how he created us, human beings, people after his own image in the fifth chapter of Genesis, which contains the genealogy from Adam to Noah. It begins, look at chapter 5, verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. First thing I want you to know, and we're going to repeatedly go back to in the next several weeks, we need to know, we need to believe, we need to view each other in the world, all ideologies and our co-workers, our neighbors, ourselves as Christians. We view humanity created in the image of of God. Humanity, human beings, people are created by God in the image of himself. Out of all the creatures that God made, only one creature, humanity, is said to be created in the image of God. I know many of you may be asking, what does that exactly mean? It means all human beings created by God are like God and represent God. Both Hebrew words, image and likeness, it refers to something that is similar, but not exactly identical to. That Hebrew word, teselim, it is something that represents something else. Image. You even see in verse 26, the Trinity, hence us, 
in agreement over creation. It says in Genesis 1.26, let us make man, the human race, to be like us and to represent us. That's what the Hebrew word says. Now that even right there, to be created in the image of the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that should bring a sense of awe, a sense of wonder, a sense of beauty represented in this series subtitle. Something we'll revisit over the course of the series because that awe, that beauty, that wonder is crucial for the worship of God in light of these truths and the witness of the world to embrace and receive these life-changing truths for themselves. That we are created, unlike anything else in humanity, in the world, I mean, in the image and likeness and representation of God. In fact, This is the very first of all God's creation where the creator, where our heavenly father said, this is very good instead of just good like the rest of creation. Genesis 131a, he, God saw everything he made and behold, this was right after created Adam and it was very good. Church, this means Nothing else on this earth, in this universe, in the past, present, or even future is like God or can represent God like humanity. I mean, you think some of the most beautiful, unique creations on this earth. Take creation, for example. The most beautiful of landscapes, mountains, ocean. I don't know if you know this, but our worship leader, Matt, and his wife, Rachel, recently went to Yellowstone and they were able to post some pictures of the last couple of days. And it is beautiful. I told him, inspiring to the point where it led to table talk uh, over dinner uh, yesterday between myself, my wife, and my father-in-law about traveling somewhere uh, to be able to see some of the most beautiful landscapes as well. And we love that. We do. We see God's creation in nature. And we worship God, not creation, but the creator for it. So as Christians, we can say, recycle, go green, save the turtles, okay? And feel okay about it. God created that. But at the same time, as beautiful as creation is, it doesn't hold significance and importance in comparison to humanity. Speaking of saving the turtles, and all other living things. We live in horse country, Lexington, Kentucky. I know there's actually been a lot of people that have been visiting our church that moved from another area. And if you didn't know this, you will soon. This is a beautiful, beautiful area, and it is known as horse country. In fact, I'd encourage you to drive down Versailles Road and see how beautiful the landscape is, but then also horses. I don't know how many of you are horse people, I've met, I meet some people around here because of the culture with it. They're like kind of sick of it. But horses are absolutely magnificent specimen. They really, really are. Talk to somebody that has raised horses. Their grace and at the same time balance with their power. They are beautiful, magnificent animals. Unlike cats, Okay. Don't roll your eyes. You know how I feel about these things. Why out of all animals are those the animals that have the great privilege to use the bathroom inside? I mean, I don't get it. I mean, they're the most stubborn, prideful, but we let them go to the bathroom inside. Why can't they go out like everything else? Now you want to talk about another beautiful thing of creation and the living creatures that God created. We all know this. We nickname them man's best friend. It should be man and woman's best friend because I tend to hear from most women, they're my fur baby, okay? Dogs. How many of you guys love dogs? Listen, I am a big dog fan. I've had, I say, five dogs in my lifetime. Uh, grew up, my, my home uh, uh, childhood dog is uh, Max right here. That's actually me on top of my dad right there. And that's my first dog, Max. He was one of the best dogs I've ever had, a mutt. He was so, so great. 
And then my second dog, his name was Coco. I liked him, but he was crazy. I remember like growing up in middle school, high school, my sister and I would like get him all roused up. And when the doorbell came, he'd run around the entire house, knocking down lamps on the couches and everything else. He didn't last too long in our house because we made him crazy. Okay. But I love dogs. And, and then even this wasn't technically our dog, but uh, my, my wife's parents had a big, great Pyrenees. It's actually influenced some families here to get great Pyrenees because they spent time with them. And this is him right here. That's not him right there. This was a video I saw on TikTok of somebody parachuting on a great Pyrenees, okay? That's awesome, okay? You can't do that with a cat, all right? Um, but this was the, our dog, and this was one of my twins and the younger. And he was, I felt like he was our family dog. We loved him. He was such a great, gentle giant. Um, but then next dog that we got, first dog that we got actually as a family was a Doberman Pinscher. Here's he as a puppy right here. And of course, he did not stay a puppy that long, as you can see, okay? And he was a great dog. We, we kind of wanted him to be uh, a guard dog. Uh, when the twins came, he was so anxious and nervous, and it was really, really tough. And so we ended up uh, having to give him to a family that had a long history of raising Dobermans. And then our latest dog, and I talk about him all the time because out of all five dogs, he is the best dog I've ever had, okay? And I don't have to feel guilty about that like you feel guilty with kids, okay? Best dog is this dog right here, Teddy. That's him on top of my daughter who's on top of me. He is the most cuddling dog I've ever had. He is the best dog we had. Uh, next picture is us at community group. Uh, where, well, no, that's us tucking him in before bed, okay? He is our fur baby. This is him at community group where he started getting toys in front of everybody just to show everybody in our community group his toys, okay? He is such a good dog with, with kids, friends, people. He is such an amazing dog. And I know all of you, I know all of you, you have your own fur babies. You love them. And still, that love for them, that view of them, it is nothing in comparison to how God feels about human beings. How we should feel about human beings in comparison to all other creation. And I know, I know when I say that, some of you are thinking this. Some of you are saying this in your head, your heart right now. Well, at least my dog won't hurt me like that cheating ex-boyfriend scum of the earth. Or... At least that animal won't hurt me like people have, like the church has. I know. It's not going to be like that. We'll get to that. Genesis chapter 3, don't worry. It doesn't change the truth of Scripture about not only how God feels about us right now, forever and how we should view each other, though. Because listen, all human life is distinct and superior to all other created things. Unlike animals who were made according to their own kind, it says in the, in the Word of God, we are made in the image of God. Human life distinct from and superior to all other created things. This means that we are altogether unique and every person, every person created by God has particular dignity, value, and worth. This means that God created us as his image bearers, not because he needed us in any way, but instead he bestowed upon us the dignity of being his image bearer for his benefit. Not our own, but he still gives it to us. In fact, church father Arrhenius said, God formed Adam not as if he stood in need of man, but so that he might have someone upon whom to confer his benefits. That's uniquely given to humanity. And how we represent God, how we are like God in Imago Dei, at least before the fall and sin, which we'll get to in a moment here. This means that we represent and like God originally in creation, morally, spiritually, mentally, relationally created 
in the image of the triune God, us in Genesis 1, 28, as God was in relations with all three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, we're created in that image. We're created to be relational in Imago Day and physically. Certain, not all, certain attributes we are given in the likeness of God, morally, spiritually, mentally, relationally, physically. And as Christians, as the church, we need to reflect on humanity as that image of God more often than less often. We need to not only be reminded of this, but continually amazed at the creator of the universe who wanted to create something in his image. And we are those things. Something more like himself than all the rest of creation that gives us a unique sense of dignity, significance, and value as we reflect on the rest of creation. That gives us a great burden to help restore others back to that likeness. And so with that in mind, what should Imago Dei, us being created in the image of God, what should that mean to us as Christians? Well, first, this means that we were created as persons by a personal God. The Bible makes note of this by explaining how unlike the rest of creation, which was made solely by God's word, God formed us by his proverbial hands, and then he breathed life into us. Think about that, you guys. Everything else was created by his voice. As amazing as that is, he personally got down in the dirt and created us. Persons, personally, relationally, created because we're created by a personal God. In the image of him, he can be known, that means, personally to us, unlike the rest of creation. We, unlike anything else on this earth, can know God, have a relationship with God. I know some people don't like that terminology. I think sometimes it can be overused, but it's true. Because as persons, we are created by a personal God who wants, desires, and created us for a relationship with him. And as persons of a personal God, this means a couple different things. Some of these things are are topics we're going to get to later in this series, but I want to open it up with this. This means that God created humans as loving and moral image bearers of God. God gives commands to us about these things that he doesn't give to his other creation. And we have the ability to know right from wrong and can respond to God with moral obedience as an act of faith and love, unlike much of the rest of creation. In fact, ethics and love are trademarks or should be trademarks of Christians because of Imago Dei. We represent and reflect the character of God. And right away, before the fall, those two biggest characteristics is holiness with the tree of knowledge of good and evil and his love for his people. And this is why, over the next several weeks, when we discuss topics like our work, vocation, our freedoms, technology, racism, Justice, life, gender, marriage, family, biblical ethics, morality, and love. It will be discussed heavily with the truths of Imago Dei. What went wrong and how it can be redeemed in Christ. It's why we should still have an instinctive sense within our souls and spirit that whispers the truth that human beings matter. Life matters. Our reactions to death as we recoil when we hear about a mass shooting, about a terrorist attack, about a natural disaster and loss of life, why we should feel deep pain when that happens. Deep pain when an individual passes from something like cancer or sickness and disease. 
Why we should demand justice when innocent blood is spilled. Have you ever wondered why our hearts are splintered by human suffering in ways that shouldn't match the grief of any other loss? We were created that way. To the other swing of the pendulum, have you also noticed how often our hearts are deeply moved by human goodness in ways that don't match our joy from other experiences? How many of you guys have been have caught yourself on your phone watching, whether it be Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, and you see those military parents' homecomings, and you're like, <laughs> ugly cry face, ugly face crying, seeing this act of human goodness, the hidden camera acts of human kindness. There's a reason why Apple TV's Ted Lasso has made an entire nation cry and unite, no matter their political differences. If you've watched or seen it, it has united people because of humanity, the kindness of humanity in it. We react this way because deep inside us, we know that humanity matters. Morality matters. And that is because we are like God and represent God in his image. We also see in Genesis 1, along with this theology and our beliefs regarding Imago Dei, how humanity is created in the image of God. We see also a cultural mandate in Genesis 1, 27 through 30. That even before the Great Commission, which was created after sin, we had a cultural commission as original image bearers of God. Look at verse 27 again in Genesis 1. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, and God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. He didn't say this to any other creation. He said this to us, those who are like him, have certain characteristics representing him. He says, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the, earth, of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. This means that God created humans to subcreate and take dominion over culture as image bearers of God. That's what we see in verses 28 through 30. It explains the innate love people can have for creating culture. Everything from film to fashion and music and theater, architecture, painting, photography, dance, storytelling, technology, and all other creative ventures. We are uniquely created that way as image bearers of God. He created us to be curious adventurers and granted us permission to explore his creation with an insatiable curiosity that begins when we are born and continues throughout our life as we seek to experience and learn, to travel the world, to explore every nook of creation. This is also why we were originally created to do meaningful work and we're satisfied and fulfilled when doing meaningful work, as you'll hear about more next week. It's also why we can't just condemn all technology and the progress of civilization as much of that is a part of the cultural mandate and will be around even in the new heavens and earth without the sin attached to it. You wouldn't be able to tell, but at heart, most People have an innate drive and desire to do work and feel accomplished in that work and role that has been ruined by sin. This also means, another topic we'll hit more in the future, God created humans to get married and multiply as image bearers of God. Look at verse 28 again. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. He created humans to get married, to multiply as image bearers of God. I know that sounds very non-romantic and matter of fact, right? Get married and multiply, okay? 
get married and make cute little babies. Call whatever you want, okay? But part of Imago Day is marriage and family to reproduce in that way. It explains why many people long to get married, long to be parents, and consider children a blessing. And there's a whole lot more to this, but it was a gift given to us by God to create a healthy culture of this, marriage and family. Now, I know that is and can be a sensitive subject with many who has such desires, but may be single or realize and know and see how it's been turned into an idol, how some have been neglected over this when it was not God's will to get married in the first place. Many, even who have felt the heartbreak of infertility and miscarriage. And listen, there's a point there because we can idolize this area. And God does call people to singleness for ministry reasons like we covered in 1 Corinthians 7 a few months ago. However, before sin entered into the world, God created one man, one woman for each other and commanded them to reproduce. And he said that this was a gift. It was how we're to continue to fill the earth. He calls those kids blessings. And that command is still there if it's not God's will to be single. Gender differences and reproduction, it doesn't happen because of sin and the fall. It happens because of Imago Day. Because we were created in His image and given the command to reproduce in light of that image. And listen, every human being, not just Christians, every human being having value and worth, morality and ethics, it matters to God and us. We work hard and we receive the fruit from such work, from marriage and family flourishing. And it all creates a beauty, a wonder, when done God's way, rooted in Imago Day. It does a beauty and wonder that the world will notice, that we will flourish in. But as we all know, as we all see, and as, as we all experience, that has been lost. We see so much brokenness in those very things that were created to be beautiful and fulfilling. From work to creativity, to marriage, family, justice. We see so much brokenness instead of the beauty and wonder that was just described. Why do humans devalue humanity? Even the most compelling stories from great pieces of literature, movies, to lyrics and songs often reveal what our hearts tell us. That the world should be good, but is now maddeningly broken. It seems hardwired in our psyche. An intuition that things are both beautiful and should be, yet so broken and corrupted and should not be. Those once perfect reflections, likeness of us, and God's image is now like a carnival mirror. Have you ever seen one of those? In fact, I was reminded of this two weeks ago. Every picture my oldest middle school daughter takes has her hands up like this. Everybody's like, hey, we're going to take a family picture. Okay, everyone. And so here's one where right before going to school, I was proud of her wearing her, her crew shirt going to there. Every picture's like this. And then I got a picture from a, um, a parent of one of the the. the kids that she hangs out with over here. Um, and he sent this to me a little bit later, and I don't know what that is, okay? Her doing that again. But that's the carnival mirror. My beautiful, perfect daughter wearing her crew shirt, going to school, so proud of her like this. And then he sends me this, okay? That's the carnival mirror, distorted. That's not my daughter. Her face isn't like one inch in the middle of her face. What happened, that distorted image of what we originally created to represent? We know and we see this, of course, in Genesis 3, through the fall. We're going to be reading this often in the rest of the series, not exactly have time to go through it all right now, but we know sin entered into the world when Adam and Eve, through the deceit and temptation of Satan, questioned God's goodness, questioned God's commands, his rules. 
his knowledge of what is good and what's evil. And that submitted to such temptation and to sin that caused sin to not only enter into their lives, break, corrupt their marriage, their view of the world and how to work, their view of each other and people extended to their very own children, but it affected each and every one of us. Has affected this world since the fall. Again, we're not going to exposit and explain all of that chapter today. I'd encourage you to read it maybe multiple times as we hit it several times in the next few weeks. But as we see in Genesis 3, God originally created humanity in the image of God, but now we have depravity by the fall of man. This gives sufficient explanation both for what we see in this world and in our very own lives and hearts. That the first humans, Adam and Eve, the original image bearers of God, and who God first said of all of his creation was very good, created in innocence and beauty by a loving God, chose to follow the way of the serpent instead of the way of their creator. And we see here how rather than enjoying intimacy with the one that were, they were created in the image of, they chose to listen to the seductive whispers of that not being enough. If you only eat the one fruit that God had ruled off limits, then you will be like a God. You will be God. Satan then not only told them that, but still likes to tell us that today. And this plunged the human race into sin, corruption, and death. Those made to be in the image of God now tries to be God, not a representation of him. Those created to know God struck out for a world where they hoped there would be no God. And this has now affected everyone, for all mankind, until Jesus returns. It's affected this world, all systems of the world, and it has literally corrupted and tainted everything. Most importantly and sadly, it has affected our own image and relationship with God. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And every one of those aspects that we're like God in, it has now been tainted and corrupted morally. We confuse or doubt what is good and what is evil. Spiritually, mentally, relationally, physically. It has affected every one of those things that we were originally created to be good in the image of God. Yet still we tend to think sin is just some type of mistake. We joke about it. Christians excuse themselves and each other for it while often pointing out the sins of others. And that sin has embedded a deep and pervasive corruption in all our hearts and our minds that has brought death into life. But we must know God's image in us is not all totally lost. We still have his image, even with sin in the fall. Take Genesis 9-6, for example. Even though men are sinful, it's sharing here why murder is such a grievous sin for it's attacking a part of creation that most resembles God. And that's not just talking about Christians. That's talking about attacking any human being. James 3, 9, who Jacob read earlier, says that men generally, not just believers, are made in the image of God. And when talking about how Christians do great damage with how they speak about the lost, verse 9, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Not talking about Christians, talking about humanity, people, others, our neighbors. Another proof of how sin has dehumanized us. To be fully human is to enjoy bearing God's image in the joy of relationship with him. But sinful humanity, because of depravity, it flees the relationship for which they were made. Adam and Eve used the garden that God had given them to seek to hide from him. Look at verse 8 in Genesis 3. And they heard the sound of the, of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. 
Sin causes us to dehumanize others. Happy and God to be fully human is to enjoy trusting other-centered relationship with other image-bearing humans, trusting God. But sinful humans seek to distance themselves like Adam and Eve did here in mistrust and to use others in selfishness. It's why in verse 7, right before, Adam and Eve covered themselves up in each other's presence. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And Adam then sought to blame Eve for his own sin in order to excuse himself before God. Verse 12, the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. We do all these exact same things. A rejection of the image giver always results in injustice against image bearers. Oppression and death, it flows downhill from sin. From the first murder with Adam and Eve's first kids to now, the greatest violence and bloodshed. Things such as bullying and slandering and lying. So much sin against humanity. Have you ever thought how we have lost our humanity today? Because of the fall, because of depravity, because of this sin. How we don't care about life, about people. I mean, you think about basic human dignity floundering in a culture of technology that seeks status, seeks likes and followers rooted in our identity where people spend more time online than with other people face-to-face, where we become keyboard warriors, forgetting that there are lives behind the people we attack and slander on social media. A culture floundering at a time where many have forgotten how God uses both basic and religious liberty to protect people, to fight oppression against people with too much power. A culture where we have often defended or justified legitimate sinful racism just because it's not as bad as it used to be. Where we have associated social justice as liberalism when some of it, many would say a lot of it, is actually biblical justice. But we're just repeating what the politicians or news channels or blogs are saying about it. Not actually going to God's word to see, is this representative of biblical justice? But saying that we're just liberal. And a culture where the White House press secretary answers the question, if a 15-week-old unborn baby is a human being, with the non-answer of we support a woman's right to choose. 15-week-old unborn baby. It's a woman's right to choose. We have lost our humanity. And if we think Christians are immune to this lackadaisical view of human life, well, just look at the last Barna research poll that asks if America, listen to this, should accept a limited amount, limited amount of refugees that their country has accepted with both Democratic and Republican presidents in their time of crisis. This isn't open borders. This isn't like way left-wing immigration policy. But the question of if America should accept a limited amount of refugees from other countries in their time of greatest crisis. Do you want to know what the least welcoming of all groups to say we should accept them? 16% of evangelical Christians said, yes, we should take them. That calls for some soul searching on what we truly believe about Imago Day. Francis Schaeffer once said, if man is not made in the image of God, 
nothing then stands in the way of inhumanity. Listen, when we look at other human beings through the distorting lens of culture, politics, nationalism, critical theories, and fear, we fail to see people as God does, made in his own image and of priceless worth. We fail to treat others in such ways. We fail in living out our mission that you see when walking out of those doors and loving our neighbors. But know this, there is great hope. That's not the end to this story. There's a third truth of Imago Dei that reminds us how to reclaim this for ourselves and to share this with others. It doesn't end in depravity. But third, we see redemption of us being created in that image of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That although we're all created in the image of God and that image has been distorted because of the fall, there's only one human being that was the perfect image of God and it's through him that we can have our original images redeemed and restored. We're created in the image of God, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, but he is the image of God. We're created in, he is. And Christ came as the ultimate image of God to save us and redeem that image for us. Colossians 1.15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Hebrews 1.3, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. It is the gospel, the message, that we as sinners, corrupted, distorted because of that sin, can't view humanity or ourselves in the right way, be in a right relationship with a personal God creating us for himself because of that sin, that out of his great love for us, he sent his son to became, become man, but still God, die on the cross, taking the consequences of sin upon himself to forgive us, restore us, and redeem us, rose from the grave out of grace, offering that to us when we repent and have faith. Saving faith in him. It restores the Imago Dei for us and the personal relationship we should have with our creator, Father. In Daniel Darling's book, The Dignity Revolution, Reclaiming God's Rich Vision for Humanity, he beautifully shares how human dignity is at the heart of Christianity because it's at the heart of the gospel. The gospel shows a God who both created humanity with purpose and when that humanity turned its back on the creator, he rescued humanity through his son, the divine human, Jesus, in order to recreate, repurpose, and redeem us. Jesus cared enough about humanity to become a human, die a human death, and take fallen humanity's combined sin on himself to make a way for us to have new life. The Holy Spirit cares enough about humanity to transform us as humans and give us new desires, a new worldview on humanity like God does after repentance and faith. In fact, look at these two passages of Scripture that shows that redeemed image we receive in the gospel of Jesus. Colossians 3.10, And we have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. We have the knowledge and opportunity to pursue and become what he originally designed us to be in his image because of regeneration and our salvation. 
Look at 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That image is restored, redeemed through the gospel. And through sanctification, we become more like that image again. This means that Jesus starts redeeming that image in all those areas. Morally, you start to think what's right and wrong according to what God thinks is right and wrong. Spiritually, you're growing closer to him. Mentally, you're being helped. Relationally, things are being restored. You're treating others in the right way. Physically, you have hope in what we talked about, the resurrection and having that perfect glorified image again. Our redemption in Christ through the gospel means that we can, even in this life, progressively grow into more and more likeness to God. And then we realize that part of living as a Christian and part of believing as a Christian is to view people the way God views them again, treating them in that way, sharing the gospel and having great hope that they will be restored in that original beautiful image of their creator as well. And listen, church, as we wrap up here, this is really important. Really lean in here and listen. Even if you're still stuck on something said earlier, this last truth, redemption, that original image and design through the gospel, this answer to the brokenness and inhumanity we see around us, to the conflict and tension that even Christians are feeling, that when explained well and lived out, it uniquely creates an awe and wonder within us in worship and in others who don't know Jesus as their false ideologies and false identities crumble. That is unique to Imago Day. The beauty and wonder of believing and living that out. I mean, seriously, think about it. Is someone going to find fulfillment and purpose in any other identity that this world offers outside of the one who created them? No. Just think of the beauty and awe of finally understanding and receiving that. Some of you need to be reminded of that as Christians today. Listen, the church is at it's best when our theology of Imago Dei affects our thinking, living, and mission. The theology of human dignity has informed Christian witness for over 2,000 years, one way or another. Toward the end of the first century, the Christian leader Clement of Rome, who led the church at that time to give food and drink to the poor, to give hospitality to strangers, to minister to prisoners, he told them, you should do good to and pay honor and reverence to man who is made in the image of God. And all those ways that he was leading out with that I mentioned. And that is what will be regarded as truly bestowed upon God. We need to learn, believe, and apply that as well. And although we won't be perfect, it's important that we walk through some of the most tension-filled cultural happenings of our time through the lens of scripture and a theology of Imago Dei with those three truths so we can learn how to view and treat them biblically with love and ethics that represents God's love and righteousness. And so church, I want you, I want you to think through in those subjects, how can I view others and live out what God's word says about me and others being created in the image of God. And know this, we're not going to be able to answer every question on those subjects. In fact, we're going to give opportunity through an email so that we can personally answer and, and put out some content to answer some questions that you may have on some of those subjects. But how are these things affected by the three truths that we just went over. Humanity created in the image of God, depravity by the fall of man, 
and redemption of the Mago Day through the gospel of Jesus. And listen, a recovery of this theology, it has moved Christians to repent of sinful ideologies and work for true biblical justice in this world. To help save not only souls, but physical lives. To be able to discern on where and when we can partner with others for the flourishing of humanity and to stop injustices of the very people that God values and created. And this is not just a series where you will learn and apply, but a great one to invite people who do not know Christ who care for such things. People who are more de-churched and dissatisfied with the extremes that they've seen in culture. And God's answer to such things will not only make sense, but it will be beautiful as it reveals our deep need for him as well. Church, will you right now pray specifically for yourselves and for someone who needs this truth that needs to be redeemed. This could be a Christian that's been hurt by other people, hates people. This could be someone who has their identity and all of the wrong things. Will you pray for opportunity to invite? And while you're praying, will you pray for yourself as you learn how to give answers? Pray for yourself as we all need this reminder. Pray for our church as we attack some of these topics, knowing that sometimes people will be stubborn and prideful no matter what the scripture says with consciences being seared. Pray to the loving, holy, and just God who wants his will to be done and his kingdom to advance through the church as this speaks deeply into our mission to glorify him, to love our neighbors, and make disciples. Spend some time praying to him now, and I'll close and we'll sing. Go ahead and do that right now. God, we know 